Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It is a pleasure and delight to have you as part of our audience, so thank you for listening. I want to ask you to help us out in a couple different ways. One is by sharing word about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, our ministries, and this podcast. You can do that just by talking about it, telling your friends and family about our ministry and what we do. Or you can jump online and give our podcast a rating, a review, share it out through social media so that we can share the work that we are doing with more and more people. The other way that you can help us is by supporting the ministry financially. We are a nonprofit, faith-supported ministry, so we rely on donors like you to keep our ministry moving forward. So you could jump online to biblicalcc.org, click the donate button at the top of our website, and there you can give a special gift or you can set up a recurring gift monthly or annually to support the work of unifying biblical counseling around the globe and locally. We are excited to share with you a Getting to Know You podcast with one of our council members, uh, Brad Hambrick. Brad is the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in North Carolina, and he has been a part of the Biblical Counseling Coalition Council for a number of years. And it was really exciting and just encouraging to get to know Brad a little bit more, hear some of his story and how the Lord brought him into biblical counseling. One of the things that I really appreciate about Brad and his ministry, and I think you will pick up on it well in, in this interview, is his ability to enter into the life and the experience of the people that he is ministering to. And I think he's a great example for all of us of how we can do that to really understand the person before us, get to know them, get into their heart, and then bring biblical truth to apply to the their situation specifically. I think Brad does a great job of that, and I hope you pick up on that as well. And I also appreciate about what he shared. He shared some unique things in the section where he talks about the struggles and difficulties related to biblical counseling, as well as his greatest joy. I was really blessed by what he shared there. So look forward to you being blessed by that as well. And thanks again for listening. Well, Brad Hamburg, thank you so much for joining us for 1514. Could you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Uh, So my name is Brad Hamburg. As you said, I currently live in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, where uh, I serve as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church. Uh, my senior pastor is J.D. Greer. I also serve as uh, the assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, and so I uh, have two different hats there. Um, so that's the ministry side of me, family side, Uh, My wife and I have been married for 22, 23 years now. Uh, We have two boys who are just finishing up their freshman and junior years of high school. Uh, So this is uh, a high season of extracurricular activities. Uh, Every time you come to the summer, as we're about to do now, and you're like, we've got this and one more summer vacation with the family. Uh, That's a different season of life that we are trying to embrace and not pre-mourn and fully enjoy uh, the time that we have. Um, 
And so uh, those that's kind of who I am and the life transitions I'm amid. All right. Yeah, we are. We have two boys as well, and we're counting down because our our oldest turns 13 this year. So it's like, oh, all right, we've got five more potentially, you know, who knows what, but round about that to go. So trying to make the most of that time. Uh, so tell us, this podcast is just getting to know you personally. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what was childhood like, and just what what Brad Hambrick was as a kid growing up. Yeah, uh, so my upbringing was very Mayberry-esque in terms of uh, I grew up in the Mississippi River bottoms of rural western Kentucky. Um, and so when I tried to describe uh, where I lived, I grew up 30 minutes from the nearest McDonald's uh, and they did not pave the road in front of my house until I was in high school. Uh, so in the spring and summer, uh, I could see two neighbors uh, from where I lived, one of which was my grandmother. Uh, in the fall and winter, you could see a third when the leaves came off the tree. And uh, the sight line was a little for a long, uh, but we, we were a corn and soybean row cropping family uh, there in a town of probably two to 3,000 uh, you took five or six towns like us, put them all together, uh, and you created one public high school that people would drive 30 to 45 minutes to get to. And that 45 of the 50 people I started kindergarten with, I graduated with. Um, and so uh, one of those towns where you waved at every car that you passed on the street because it was rude not to, uh, you knew who they were. Uh, that made moving to the city very difficult and gave me wrist cramps as I tried to wave at every car. Uh, it took me a while to realize that that was not required. Uh, that was not uh, breaking etiquette once you got to the city. No, that's really great. Yeah, we we lived in a smaller, not that small a town in California for a while, and we would wave at everybody. And my son, my youngest, always asked me, who's that? You know, do you know that person? It's like, no, it's just what you do. So, <laughs> it's rude not to. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, tell us about your, your faith journey and how you came to become, uh, became a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so I came to faith at the church that I grew up in. Uh, so Bardwell Baptist Church there. Uh, I was uh, nine, nine and a half years old. Um, you know, I'd grown up in church, uh, heard uh, the gospel, faithful Sunday school teachers. I mean, I had the same Sunday school teacher from the time I was in third grade through 11th grade, uh, Patton Leland King. And so in terms of um Growing up, people who invested uh, in me as a young person, um, yeah, I can still remember where I was sitting, about three rows back, middle aisle, slightly over to the right. Um, I don't know what the pastor preached on that morning. I just know uh, it connected with me in a way to realize that, you know, sin wasn't just like this generic everybody thing. It was a me thing that when Christ died, it was for me. Um, and we were one of those churches that had a gospel invitation at the end of every service. Um, I remember looking at the hymnal going, I don't want to pick this up because it's time for me to do business with God. I realize what needs to happen here. Um, and so uh, that pastor uh, is one that... Um, Actually, 
a month or uh, not a month or two, about a year ago now, uh, went back to do a, a training event at the college uh, that I went to. Uh, I guess we'll get to that part of me later and got to catch up and uh, just a faithful shepherd. Mm. And uh, but yeah, came to faith um, a whole lot, you know, like most people who uh, I think grow up in a small town church and then you go off to seminary and you realize how much you didn't know. And you wonder, did I know enough to actually uh, be saved? And uh, I think there are a lot of what we face is just young faith. It it's sincere. It's genuine. It understands the basics and not much beyond that. Um, but it, it was a faith that wanted to give my life to Christ that understood why I needed to and what he had done on my behalf. And so, um, you know, from then on, uh, in a youth group of six, seven, 12 kids at a time, depending on, uh, how much people in town, like the youth pastor we had, uh, <laughs> grew and developed. And, um, you know, that was, that was my early journey. Yeah. Well, praise the Lord that he didn't require all of us to get an MDiv to have faith and enter into his kingdom. So uh, it, is, it is beautiful that any anybody can understand that God loves them, died for them, and brought them into his family. So uh, so tell you mentioned college. Tell us about your college years. Where did you go? What did you go there to study? Yeah. So uh, I went to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Um, I think a lot of my alma mater, if people are looking for a spot to uh, send their children, uh, it's one that I would recommend. I get to talk with the faculty there on a regular basis now and enjoy it. But uh, when I went, uh, I went as a computer science major and a baseball walk-on. Uh, during my freshman year, God faithfully delivered me from both of those, uh, <laughs> that I realized calculus was not a skill set that I had been given, especially with my Carlisle County education. Uh, and then moving from small town baseball athletics, which had been my passion to that point, uh, to seeing what it's looked like when you play at a much higher level. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the experience of being humbled by uh, computer science and uh, getting to learn the game of baseball as a one-year walk-on. But then uh, it was between that freshman and sophomore year when I felt called to ministry. Uh, And so I double majored in Christian ministry and psychology and uh, studied both there uh, over the next uh, three years, again, as a double major. Uh, spent my summers after that using the gift that I had learned uh, from baseball running uh, Christian sports camp with a uh, camp called Crosspoint. Uh, really got to cut my teeth on ministry there where uh, you'd have 300 kids a week come in, you'd have sport times and Bible studies and uh, learning to minister to different people, different backgrounds from all over the country, different interests. Uh, and then every week you turned it over and you did it again. And uh, whatever didn't work the week before, you got a chance to uh, get a do-over. And uh, doing that for two summers as baseball brat. And then that third summer, uh, they asked if I would serve as a director. And so I moved out of direct ministry role into supervision and oversight role as a 20-year-old. I'm not quite sure what they were thinking uh, when they gave me that invitation. But 
uh, you know, that collection of experiences uh, before I went into seminary. Um, again, I think God used in a way to really humble uh, and say, like, these are the things you need to learn. These are uh, leadership and character and how to guide people through things that aren't intuitive to them. Um, all of the things that I didn't know that I didn't know until I got into a spot where I was uncomfortable, uh, those kinds of experience gave me, they tilled the soil for education well. Oh, yeah, that is, that's a good, good word. All right, it's recording. We'll see how long that lasts. All right, uh, so Brad, tell you described having a call to ministry for maybe those who don't understand what that looks like. Describe describe what that was like for you when you were in college. Yeah, uh, and that is one of those things that uh, if you're in church circles and you grew up speaking Christianese, then uh, that. It's a phrase that gets used a lot. Um, it is something that's more subjective. I mean, in many ways, we wish we could quantify it and maybe know better than we do. But for me, um, you know, growing up, I knew my faith was important to me. Uh, you know, church was a, uh, a wonderful place that I enjoyed. Um, you know, not that I wasn't a knuckleheaded kid. It got in uh, trouble from time to time while I was there, but it was... It was some of the most meaningful uh, relationships in my life. And so, um, you know, as I went to college and was trying to think through what am I going to do with the rest of my life, uh, what I knew was my faith was important to me. I loved being a part of the church. When I got the opportunity to teach or lead something there, I enjoyed that um, as much, if not more than about anything else I did. And so, um, yeah, I was there at a Christian undergraduate college and was considering like, just as I looked at majors, uh, what fits. And so Christian ministry, I was like, ah, that, that is a path that I could, uh, go my local church, uh, where I was serving at the time as a middle school, uh, pastor, uh, they, they affirmed that and said, yes, I, we think you're good at this and we could see you doing that. Um, and so I, I won't spoil the ending of how we got from middle school youth ministry to biblical counseling. Uh, we'll come to that when it comes on uh, your list of questions here. But uh, that was the spot where I was like something in the direction and vein of ministry is what I think God designed and equipped me to do. No, that's good. Yeah, I know a lot with the discussion around that, there's a lot of different things, but two things that come up often are a desire, right? And we see that even in the qualifications for an elder, if someone has a desire to do these things, it's a, it's an uh, honorable thing to desire. And the church's affirmation is, is so significant. So that's, that's cool. Uh, big shift for you, uh, obviously going from computer science and baseball to ministry and, and psychology, but uh, that is what the Lord had for you. So somewhere um, <clears throat> along the line, you met your wife and you got into biblical counseling. I'll let you pick which one comes first. Uh, maybe chronologically might be the easiest way to do that. So <laughs> how did that unfold for you? Yeah, chronologically, uh, Sally came first. And so we were uh, both there at Union University and 
Um, at that point in my uh, social development, my advanced nonverbal observation skills had not developed uh, to where hopefully they are now. Uh, but it took two blind dates for me to figure out uh, that she was interested in me and that I should pay attention. Um, but uh, we met during our last year uh, there at Union. Uh, and so we, it was early in that last year, uh, in May of that year, uh, we got engaged. And then, uh, at the, in the fall is when we got married. Uh, and it was during that time, uh, that I, uh, enrolled at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And, uh, trying to figure out where I was going to focus my studies, uh, wasn't the easiest thing. I just didn't feel like I had the best skill set to be a lead pastor. Uh, it wasn't how I was wired. It's not how I was gifted. Um, my undergraduate degree in Christian ministry had an emphasis in youth ministry. It's what I thought I was going to do with the rest of my life at a time, uh, at the time. But I didn't want to read the same books over again. Uh, like I'd done that in my undergrad. And so uh, I noticed uh, that Southeastern had a biblical counseling program. And it's like, that would be the nice, a nice feather in the hat of a youth pastor. Uh, I mean, you got teenagers. Uh, teenagers are generally known for having issues. That would be something that uh, churches would view favorably if they were looking to hire someone. And so uh, a couple of things happened uh, during that first uh, couple of years of seminary. Uh, one is I got old fast. Uh, I got married and just realized that lock-ins were not a great future plan for my life. Uh, that it just wasn't going to go well. I like sleep too much and that, that, uh, was not a great career path. Um, and then, uh, my second semester at Southeastern, uh, was Sam Williams first semester there on faculty. And so, uh, as I got to know, uh, Sam Williams, um, yeah, his his vision for counseling was very meaningful to me. Uh, and so uh, I began to say, I think this is the direction uh, that I want to go. And I uh, so I, I did the MDiv and biblical counseling there. I got to the uh, last year in uh, Curtis. You know me well enough to know that uh, if there is a couple of words that describe Brad, it is generally thorough and compulsive. Um, and so I didn't get to May and go, man, I sure would like to have a job. Um, you know, we started in August and we created job folders of like level A jobs, level B jobs, level C jobs based upon geographically and role definition and that kind of thing. We had our criteria. We were looking at them. Uh, the problem is there was nothing to go in the level A folder, which was biblical counseling specific role. So I did what any good student does when you're not sure what to do after graduation, another degree. Um, and so uh, we signed up for the THM. And uh, then uh, as I was coming to the end of that second year with my job folders, uh, there was finally an opportunity down in Augusta, Georgia for a little mom and pop counseling center. 
uh, called Crossroads Counseling, uh, that they uh, invited me to come on staff with them there uh, to do counseling. And so uh, moving from uh, someone who has an education in biblical counseling uh, to someone who is experienced as a biblical counselor, uh, I got my education at Southeastern. Uh, I got my experience at Crossroads. So that was kind of the, the journey there. And what um, what then led you back into near to seminary where you where you studied before to the summit? Yeah, and so for a lot of the turns in my life, I can blame Sam Williams. Uh, and you know, you laugh out loud because you know Sam. And um, and so after I had been down in uh, Augusta for it's almost ten years. Um, he, uh, he had good relationships with the summit church where I am now. Uh, I think he had aspirations of me doing some teaching there at Southeastern. Uh, and so he played matchmaker and when they had a position come available, uh, for a pastor of counseling role, uh, he connected them with me and me with them, uh, you know, that whole church role courtship. I'll spare you that part of the story. And then uh, right here with Southeastern in our backyard, just 20, 25 minutes away, uh, my role between the two, uh, I think, has made a very good symbiotic relationship between uh, the seminary and our church. Yeah, no, that's good. It is, It is. Uh, I think, an encouragement for our audience to realize, and not in a nepotistic favoritism kind of way, but it really does help to know each other and know other people in, in biblical counseling so that we can refer people to good uh, positions, good pastorate, that kind of thing. And obviously you don't want to enter into those relationships just to pad your, um, resume or make connections, that kind of thing. But man, you know, how often do churches or places call saying, Hey, do you know somebody we're looking for somebody in this position or that kind of position? And it's just helpful to know people and to be known. So, um, do your work, do well, but don't do it in isolation. Make sure you're building relationships with others, um, in, in this field. So, and, uh, so tell, tell me you've been doing counseling, training, counseling, other things like that for quite some time now. Um, what's, one of the hardest things you face, maybe not the hardest or whatever, and obviously we don't want to violate confidentiality, but we understand that it's not an easy thing to do all the time. Uh, what's something that's been challenging or hard for you in biblical counseling? Well, I mean, we were just talking about the uh, transition from uh, student to a parachurch private practice setting. Uh, and when I saw this question, thinking it through and kind of a lot of the progression of questions, uh, I was thinking through that season of transition. Um, and most of the literature uh, that I was trained under with biblical counseling, uh, the subtitle to Paul Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, um, that captured the modality and style of relationship that was ingrained in me. People in need of change, helping people in need of change. Um, you know, the, the, the perspective on the helping relationship was very mutual. It was peer-related. It, it assumed the same community of faith, uh, that we were doing life together to kind of borrow what I think is a, a fairly common phrase to describe that. But then when I went to parachurch private practice, 
That's a different style of relationship. Uh, what does it look like when you're getting to know a stranger from a set of intake forms forward? You know, most of my helping relationships to that point had been via friendships. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of a soft-spoken, like I think generally a nice guy. People like I always wondered why they would tell me as much as they would tell me when a conversation would just go and it would go deeper. And I'm like, I'm okay with you sharing this. If you're okay sharing that, but you didn't take a case history. It was just how the friendship developed. Getting to know somebody well enough that they called you friend was the case history. When you're in a, when you're in a setting where you're getting to know a stranger and you jump in on the deep end of the pool of life meeting one and you've got to build trust and rapport while at the same time getting to know the hardest parts of their life. And, you know, just me personally, um, the skill set, social skill set that I struggle with most is small casual interaction like i can do a stage decently well uh but like the there's something about those social rhythms i get it like there's times like i just feel awkward uh, and so you take that which wasn't my greatest skill set and for five six seven hours a day i'm getting to know a new person we're jumping into life i'm not in a friendship role I'm not in a pastor role. I'm not your shepherd. I am just your counselor. This is the only part of life that we share. That when the struggle in life is adequately resolved, I'm probably not going to see you again. And that's actually the best compliment that you can give to our relationship is that you don't see me again. And so... Uh, when counseling for me was trained in the more one another capacity. But the first expression was in a formal helping setting. Figuring out what this looked like well uh, was one of those times, you know, again, we could go through topics that were hard or cases that were hard. But one of those transitions uh, that um, if somebody's going to do counseling vocationally, uh, and their training is in biblical counseling, where our literature focuses on in a lot of the helping relationships and what it looks like to do that in a parachurch private practice setting. Uh, those can be really different. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that, well, we could probably do another podcast just on that topic. So, <laughs> uh, but thanks for, I, I appreciate that too, because it gives a bit of variety as well, just in for our audience to listen to, because some we, some things are very common. Some struggles are very common. Uh, but I appreciate you talking about that one because that is one we haven't had a lot of people share and talk about. And it's a good, it's a good one to think about. Um, and for hopefully some of our audience that hits home with you well too. Uh, so what are the things that keep you going? What, what makes you love and receive joy from the caring ministry, counseling ministry that you get to do? Yeah. As I think about the we're going to phrase it, the most satisfying part of counseling for me. It's when you see somebody relax because they feel understood. 
like I, I don't think we appreciate how isolating and stigmatizing it is to get to the spot where I don't know what to do with what I'm going through. And again, because my role uh, tends to be more formal, uh, that somebody would fill out intake forms and meet with a stranger and, you know, the peer group that they have to the degree that they've accessed it, they haven't found it to be adequate. And they're beginning to wonder, like, how broken am I? And uh, that early part of counseling where you're getting to know somebody's story and you kind of ask, is it, is it like this? Would this be a fair way to capture what you're going through? Uh, and they say yes. And, and you can just, you can kind of see the relief hit their body like I am knowable. I, I am speaking in complete sentences. I can be understood. Um, I'm not crazy. Uh, you know, that once you start to cultivate that level of hope, uh, the snowball of change can get to rolling um, pretty quickly after that. Uh, but just, just the relief that... Um, that you see in folks in those moments. Um, I think that's one of my favorites. Hmm. No, that's, yeah, that is a great, great experience, great opportunity, and just a great way to love somebody and, and to see that uh, really impacting them. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure you haven't had a ton of these, but any mistakes you've made in counseling that are, again, uh, okay to be shared? And what did you learn from that? Yeah, um, I think if you really want to torture yourself later in life, uh, one of the best things you can do is start a blog and record yourself teaching. Uh, because it's like putting all of your short-sightedness out there for the entire world to interact and document for the rest of human history. Um, so if I had to pick an area that... It was kind of a pivot point for me uh, in terms of like, I don't, as I looked back and I would listen to some of the earlier teaching that I had recorded, I was like, I've said things. I don't think I'm living up to them. And so uh, kind of the statement that, you know, if you've come to much that I do and print or on my website, uh, the gospel speaks to both sin and suffering. It just speaks to them differently. Kind of that basic dis uh, distinction that both sin and suffering have their roots in the Genesis 3 fall, uh, but there's a difference in the disruption in my life that comes from my own internal corruption and those things that happen from living in a broken world amongst broken people. Yet, when I listen to some of my earlier teaching on suffering-related subjects. What I found is, at least from my opinion, and this is me critiquing me, so I was still counseling sin. I was just doing it in a softer tone of voice. My verbs were still sin verbs. Um, 
it was less about relief from the suffering and more about not clinging to an idol in the midst of suffering. Uh, I, I still skewed much more towards the make sure your heart is pure than helping somebody make sense of and find relief in the midst of suffering. And, and honestly, if I think back on that season of life, I'm not real sure what to account that to. Like, was it just I wanted to make sure that I covered these things? Was it that uh, that's where more of my training was? And so to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, it, um, yeah, I don't know. But when I listened to it, I was like, I, I did much more character refinement work when I, you know, whatever thing I was listening to, then I did relief and comfort and meaning making work. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of what I've learned from it, um, like to look at the verbs of what I am, I'm asking, what I'm instructing, what I'm encouraging that um, do my verbs match my theology of suffering or are they same verbs just from responsibility-laden struggles that are spoken in a softer, softer tone of voice? Hmm. No, that's a good. That's a good word. Um, <clears throat> so we're we're about wrapping up on our time, and I, the last few questions kind of jumble together a little bit. So I'll, I'll give you this one for our final question before two-minute favorites: Is what is one specific piece of advice you would? like to share with our audience? If you had one piece of advice to throw out to a bunch of uh, biblical counselors, what would it be? Yeah, it is. Um, it's a really good question. Uh, it's broad enough. Um, I think maybe before this was started, I had an answer that I wanted to share, but I'm blanking on it. And so uh, there, um, Think maybe what I would say. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about a spectrum of formality, like everything from friendship to more formal care, pastoral, something that's done in a vocational capacity. Um, that whatever, wherever you find yourself in your helping relationships. Um, understand what it is to do that spot on the spectrum of formality well. Um, understand both the advantages and the limitations that come with where you are uh, on that spectrum. Uh, and sometimes it's training that you do or don't have. Sometimes it's a role that you uh, are or not in. I mean, there's there's times when being a friend is a great asset. There's times when being a friend is not. And so I think uh, in biblical counseling, we've spent most of our time focused on the content of what we say, uh, making sure the biblical of biblical counseling is biblical. Uh, but the nature of the relationship and understanding the strengths and weaknesses and what's done best through different types of relationships as they become increasingly or less formal I think understanding the role that you're in, really appreciating it, knowing what it does well, um, and thriving there uh, without trying to do things that are a standard deviation or two um, ahead of or behind where you're at, uh, that would be my encouragement. 
All right. Well, thanks. I will not ask you to define standard deviation for our audience, yeah, but okay. I think. Yeah, it's been <laughs> oh man, that reminded me of my stats studies too much. So, well, Brad, thanks so much. We have a segment at the end called two minute favorites. I don't think I sent these to you, so you're going to just have to, but it's all basically your favorite stuff. So hopefully, hopefully yes. you know that stuff. Uh, and you've been on the show before, so you, you, You've had to do this already. So I'm going to start the timer and launch right in. Here we go. What is your favorite food? I am a foodie. And so basically it is something that I have not tried before that looks interesting. Whether I enjoy the food or not, I will enjoy the experience. All right. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Baseball. Favorite sports team? St. Louis Cardinals or Kentucky Wildcats. Depends on which season we're in. All right. Uh, favorite gift you've ever received? Mm, I had a counselee give me this. night. I can't point to it. We're on. Uh, but right behind me in my office is a 1941 Air Force issue baseball mitt. Hmm. Uh, and they had that, and that was a gift they wanted to give. Uh, and so, in terms of unique, um, I, I keep it here in my office. I think of that counselee when I see it, it kind of matches a whole lot for me. Hmm. Favorite gift you've ever given? Uh, first Christmas gift I gave to my wife was a World War II Third Reich Nazi dagger. Um, my wife is a World War II history buff. Uh, my mother was scared to death that I was going to scare her away. Um, but when I gave the gift, uh, it was when Sally's father realized this guy really does know and listen and pay attention to mm. my daughter. Uh, I put it with a teddy bear. I put a Hitler mustache on the big teddy bear that was holding the knife to try to soften it up. But I won points with the Nazi dagger. All right. Favorite uh, Bible verse? Uh, increasingly, I like the Psalms. Uh, I would say early in my seminary days, I was probably a Gospel of John guy. Uh, the more I do counseling, the lived experience, honest questions of the Psalms uh, are something I've grown in my appreciation for. All right. Well, that wraps up our time together. So, Brad Hambert, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.